Hello, my name's Justin LeClue, and I'm here today with... Will Sloan. And you're listening to The Important Cinema Club. And today, we're going to get a little bit extreme, because we're talking about the edgelord himself, Todd Salons. <laughs> Todd Salons' reputation, I think, largely rests on two landmarks of the 1990s American independent cinema boom. There was 1996's Welcome to the Dollhouse, which so memorably captured the horrible experience that high school is for so many high schoolers. And then 1998's Happiness, which is one of the most fucked up movies of all time. A movie that when I saw it as a teenager, I kept thinking, I really hope my parents don't come in the room right now. I hope they don't find out I'm watching this. They might call the cops. But there's not even anything graphic in Happiness. So that means your parents would have to sit down and be like, what are you watching? Hmm? There are some there are some graphic things in happiness. Are there? I don't remember. Well, when Philip Seymour Hoffman jizz is on the wall. <laughs> oh yeah, we don't see his dick or anything like that. No, but you see the jizz, then you see him. Wow, it's pretty gross. I don't know. No, I don't think it is. I do that every t- three times a day. <laughs> that's how all these posters are up on your wall right now. <laughs> yeah, that's right, because he glues it to it. Right. You, if your parents came in, you could have been like, "What is he doing, mom and dad?" If they looked at you askance, just ignoring, like, "I don't know what's going on. It's happening off the frame." Todd Salons. His his name has, you know, faded a bit over the years. With It's funny, you look at the box office and each one of his movies makes half as much money as the previous one. Can you get and we're getting pretty double close, of zero? We're pretty close to zero at this point. <laughs> so it's been a while since his last movie. His next movie is supposed to be a big one, though, right? It's Rachel Weiss and Colin Farrell. That's if been, it gets made. That's been in development for a while The last now. update was 2021, well, so it's not completely dead. Well, we'll see. I know he's teaching at, I believe, NYU right now. Oh, it's now. over for him then. Yeah, yeah, he's teaching, unfortunately. But certainly when I was coming of age as a cinephile, he, he was a brand name in certain circles. And I was surprised. Well, first of all, I was a big fan of Todd Salons. When I was a teenager... I thought he was, yeah, yeah, really, I was the perfect age for him. I was very surprised to find out that you, Justin, had never seen a Todd Salons movie until this week. Nope. I was very aware of him. I knew all of his movies. Even Welcome to the Dollhouse. No, never saw Welcome to the Dollhouse. Why not? I don't know. I just never ended up watching it. You thought he was an edgelord. Well, especially with his later movies, every review that I would read. So I was reading it during the period of... Probably early 2000s. So what was coming? I Storytelling. Yeah. Very vividly remember people talking about palindromes when it came out. Mm. At our favorite website, Ain't It Cool News. Oh, yeah. Did they did they like it? Where they were like, it's the most fucked, fucked up, up movie, movie ever. ever. Yeah. 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 And I was like, yeah, yeah, okay. And yeah. I remember seeing it always at the library. They have a DVD of palindromes. You're, you're somebody who's not naturally drawn, as we've established, to like edgelord stuff. No. To, to like... Yeah, the transgressive stuff. In I cinema. look around the world and it's fucked up enough. Yeah. I don't need to see it in my entertainment either. Well, again, this is a difference between me and you. Mm-hmm. Definitely his movies were like very eye opening to me. But then also you lived in the comfortable, you know, suburbia life. I was a cowpoke down in uh, Castleman. I do think that this is actually important, too. I mean, I did grow up in a neighborhood not unlike the one in Happiness. Mm-hmm. My so- brother's listening to this. He's like, what is Justin talking about? He lived on a suburban street in a small town. Well, I, I assumed you were in the middle of nowhere somewhere no, no. Some we lived on odd a, french community no it was like big you know medium-sized houses and like nice newly paved sidewalk but then if you just walk down there was nothing anymore hmm. well my interest in todd salons over the years has kind of waxed and waned i hadn't seen one of his movies in a really long time it feels like fans just kind of slowly peeled off of him i actually think i i started getting a little disenchanted with him around the time of life during wartime in 2009 i remember being disappointed by that movie 
and the run of movies afterwards and finding i mean he's somebody who uses a lot of irony he's somebody who uses he does oh man i don't know how to watch these movies <laughs> uh, he, he's, he's somebody who like you know the the old complaint that you know people level against the cohen brothers that oh they hate their characters well you could probably say that of todd salons at times and i don't know there was a period i think when he was really rubbing me the wrong way and especially his last movie wiener dog where you know it, it's kind of an oh hazard balthazar thing where it follows the wiener dog through various stories it, through a parade of misery if you say through, through a parade of comical misery and it ends spoiler skip ahead 15 seconds with the wiener dog getting run over by a car mm-hmm. and i remember seeing that and thinking oh todd you know <laughs> yeah. you're so edgy you the ran one trick you got up your sleeve you ran over the dog oh you're gonna give me some more pedophilia stuff again <laughs> there is mr pedophilia over so here so much pedophilia in his movies so so i got a little i got a little tired of him and i fully expected to still be tired of him this week but watching four of his movies again for the first time in years i gotta say I really liked them. Mm-hmm. I liked I liked them all to varying degrees. What did you think? Touring? Liked them all. You liked them all. Yeah, yeah. I, I had a fun time touring through the world of Todd's Law. I saw some people say like, "Ah, oh, too much to watch in a week," and I was like, "Nah, they're pretty funny." So they it's, are it's, funny. It's, it's good. It's good. And it, I like. I think what what strikes me first of all, I mean, Happiness from 1998. That was a movie that I really expected to not like anymore because <laughs> the leaden irony of the title. Mm. I kind of thought the whole movie would be like. You think suburbia is picket fences and leave it to beaver? Well, guess what? There's pedophilia. American beauty. Right. And <laughs> and I mean, it is that. But I would say that like it kind of, you know, gets away from that pretty quick when they have the scene where the mother goes, oh, we our lives are so good, aren't they? They're so great. Like it just nails it right on the head. Right, let's move beyond that now. Yeah. So let's talk about happiness. Mm. This is the quintessential Todd Salon's movie. Wait, you don't want to start with the, his first film, which I watched this week. Okay. Let's talk about that one. Fear, Anxiety, and Depression. So Fear, Anxiety, and Depression is a film written, directed, starring Todd Salon. Oh, starring. Yes. Dynamo. <laughs> I this love- is kind of the lost Salon's movie. Everyone thinks that Welcome to the Dollhouse is the first one. Yeah, they think that, you know, maybe because he disowned it. I, you know, it was probably taken out of his hands. Watching the movie, though, I I, I think, what else could this have been? Because this is the movie every 20-something-year-old who has filmmaking tendency threatens to make about, like, I'm so unlovable and no women will ever like me. But I'm kind of wacky and funny, too. Well, I don't remember it very well, but... Todd Salons in the movie looks a lot like Bananas era Woody Allen. Absolutely. Right down to the hair. It's also filled with Bananas or Annie Hall era Woody Allen style, like little flights of fancies. There's like original songs. One of them, I believe, sung by Todd Salons on the soundtrack. You posted this like bit of physical comedy where he tries to like take a pane glass window and he smashes it against something. Like you can imagine Woody doing something better than that in his prime. So I haven't seen this movie in forever. What did you think of it? I think it was an interesting curiosity and you understand why this is not the area that he went down. Okay. But like his earlier films are kind of like that. Like he actually stars in his early short films as well. So you can understand this would be like the, you know, fruition of that. Like he's a playwright named Ira in New York. His parents take care of him. He 
has a cool best friend and he's kind of like in love with every beautiful woman that comes his way. There's also a woman that let's just say he doesn't find conventionally beautiful and he doesn't want to date her anymore. And there's like a joke where he like breaks up with her on a bridge and then she goes to like commit suicide. Like, oh no, no, we're together. We're together. Then she like climbs down. So there's that hint of that Todd Salon's kind of misery filtered through that like, but I'm a funny guy, right? Now, it's easy to see, watching all these movies close together, why Welcome to the Dollhouse was the one that broke through. Because it's the one that is, I think, the most easily saleable as a Sundance indie circa 1996. Yes. It's uh, a a pretty small-scale comedy, dark comedy, about an unpopular girl in high school. Now, I watched this movie yesterday with Emily, and she's told me before she loves this movie. That she was one of the people that's like, this was my, you know, junior high experience. This is how I felt. And, like... This is what made this film a hit is that, you know, people saw it and they felt no movie had captured this feel and this attitude of basically being bullied as a kid and like living in a suburban, you know, situation as Welcome to the Dollhouse did. So the main character, Don Wiener, played by Heather Matarazzo, is a stupendously unpopular high school student, bullied by everyone at the school, also bullied by her own family. She's kind of the ugly duckling sibling. The middle child yeah. of the family. She has a nerdy older brother, and she also has a very charming younger sister that everybody loves. And is being, you know, groomed for success. Mm-hmm. And so she's going through the world with a last name, Wiener, so everybody calls her Wiener Dog. And there's bullies at school. One of them who threatens to rape her after school. That's a whole subplot of the movie. Okay, that and the scene where she's like cornered by that other bully in the bathroom really capture like how cruel and ugly children are in a way that most movies don't capture and they also swear all the time in this movie as well which is like wow finally they're capturing the actual experience of being a kid that is actually what middle school is like like you are you can or one can potentially never be more foul-mouthed or more cruel more evil than in middle school and i mean it's amazing the way that like she's bullied and then she just turns that bullying against her siblings at home for like she needs that sense of power somehow yeah needs to let it out somewhere and that's that's what makes this movie that's what separates it like the losers in salons's movies are not lovable no you know well i mean salons would argue that they are you know human beings and that there is humanity and i would argue having watched them all in like a week i agree that he does care about his characters Mm -hmm. in a way that i would say that the coen brothers at their most arch do not okay that i find that a lot of the coen brothers movies are like look at these losers (laughs) like laugh at them laugh at them Todd Salons would say that as well. Like, you can laugh at these situations. About, I think there are certain characters. I'm thinking in Life During Wartime, the sibling who becomes the successful Hollywood screenwriter. <laughs> yes, that's funny. Yeah. She's like, oh, I detach myself from my family. I'm so miserable, but I also have all the assistants live in a giant I, mansion. I hear you're dating Keanu. Yes, yes, I'm dating Keanu. It's not all it's made up to be. But certainly most of his protagonists, and even, like, the pedophile father in Happiness, like, they are human. Yes. And that, on like, that level. And, like, Life during wartime which we'll get to like he tries to revisit that as well mm-hmm. i mean welcome to the dollhouse i watch it and i went i understand exactly why this hit and why it continues to hit mm-hmm. like watching it with emily she was like how did todd salons know all this stuff that like young kids used to do or specifically young women used to do well but actually because like almost the second you get away from that environment almost the second you get to like 
I don't know, college or wherever you go afterwards, like I think you lose you, the sentimentalization process begins to happen with kids mm-hmm. you, or you start to think of them as these like pure innocence. Oh, Emily does not think of those years in elementary school of being pure and innocent. Like, yeah. She's like, ah, oh, high school was fine. Elementary school. No, not a fan. Yeah. So like a movie to capture that in a, it's a little arch, but it's not arch to the extreme of like being completely disconnected, which I think is the issue with some of his later day films where he's going down the avenue of like, oh, I need to be more extreme and you know, wilder and and then there's a disconnect, an emotional one to the like storytelling that he's doing. So after Welcome to the Dollhouse, this is probably the moment when his stock is highest. He and P.T. Anderson, neck and neck. Well, they kind of are at the time. Yeah, he's one of those guys. Yeah, he you is. Know? A Sundance kid. And he cashes it in with one of the most abrasive would you call this a Hollywood movie above ground movies ever made? Well, it's definitely his Magnolia mm-hmm. and it's a bunch of weird cast of characters doing weird and fucked up things, but in a very calm way. I saw someone compare it to a Hallmark movie. Like Todd Salons likes to show like kind of disturbing stuff or have intermissions with like flowery generic music over it. And yeah, I don't think you really think about the mise-en-scene of a Todd Salons movie all that much. No, not really. Which is not to say it isn't there, but especially in happiness, it's very kind of matter of fact in the way things are presented. Yeah, yeah. So happiness is built kind of Hannah and her sister's style around three middle-class sisters. There's Trish Maplewood, who's a happy homemaker in the suburbs her her husband bill maplewood played by dylan baker is a psychiatrist a upstanding member of the community who is also a pedophile a a pedophile we first find this out when he picks up a copy of a you know a teen boy magazine and masturbates to it in a car wait is that what he was doing he wasn't on frame i couldn't tell (laughs) i'm playing the innocent game in case my parents walk in there's her successful sister helen played by lara flynn boyle who's glamorous. Yeah, she doesn't really have that much going on. She's a successful poet, and all her poetry is about being raped. And she's like, I've never been raped. It's not real. Like, I'm a fraud. And so she finds herself in the crosshairs, if that's the right, if that's the right terminology, of Philip Seymour Hoffman. Uh, what a good actor. A great, a great performance by Philip Seymour Hoffman as her neighbor, an antisocial recluse, somebody who goes to the office every day, keeps his head down, then comes home and goes through the phone book one by one, making obscene phone calls. Mm-hmm. And perhaps pleasuring himself and then perhaps spreading that on the wall as a use of glue. Icon- iconic scene. Legendary. I'm not joking when I wrote on Letterboxd that like someone in college recreated that scene oh. as like a scene recreation. Oh my God. Do you find it that? Did, di- I don't wait. even find it that disgusting. Like I find it disgusting. Okay. So wait, this person you knew in college yeah. who did that scene, did they do it unsimulated? Did they? No, no, no. It, okay. it was, it was simulated. So it was just him okay. like, oh, oh, oh. Then it right. cut to the wall and then just like the jizz hits the wall. Man, whole different time. Nobody would do that scene in college now. <laughs> no, I don't think so. And then finally, there's the, I guess, ugly duckling sister of this trio, Joy, played by Jane Adams. Can we just talk about that amazing opening scene with John Lovitz? It's so good. <laughs> John Lovitz's greatest performance. Yes. Yeah. Where basically she breaks up with him and it's just John Lovitz like weeping for 10 minutes. So she teaches English to Russian immigrants at a sort of local like Paris. She's school. scabbing. She's Scab, scabbing. Scabs. And, and oh, we like to call them strike breakers. Yeah. And becomes entangled with one of the Russians who takes her class, 
who's a bit of a con artist. There's also another plot about Ben Gazzara and Louise Lasser as their parents. Who, who are, are breaking up. We're not getting divorced. We're just going to live in different houses. And, you know, together this this tapestry, and I mean, the one that I think everyone really remembers is Dylan Baker as the pedophile father. Well, specifically the almost climactic scene of Dylan Baker being like, yeah, I'm a pedophile. I raped your friends and I do it again, too. And and, and I liked it. Yeah, and, he, and, like, and, and, he, and, and the kid's like, would you rape me? And he's like, no. I'd masturbate instead. Yeah, and and that scene, which is such a powerful scene, and it's obviously conveyed so much by Dylan Baker's acting, where he gives this like very affectless performance in it, but with like a tear like mm-hmm. going down, down his, his cheek, cheek. Where it's like like he's a genuinely sort of sick man mm-hmm. who like actually sort of can't help himself. Who's also a psychiatrist. Who's also a psychiatrist. And then there's a lot of ambiguity as to actually there is a lot of ambiguity in that character, the degree to which he can help himself, the degree to which he can't. I mean, he talks to another psychiatrist about having a dream where he's walking through the park and murdering everybody, which we see in the film. He's cut off from his own emotions or he very strongly compartmentalizes them. And, you know, a useful movie to compare this to as you alluded to earlier, is American Beauty, which is another movie that's, you know, ripping the veil back on suburbia. Yeah, but that movie is doing it in a very glossy and approachable way. Well, also in that movie, Kevin Spacey puts his They Live glasses on. It's mm-hmm. like, I see through all this. I'm liberated. I'm doing weights in the uh, garage. Yeah, unlike my shrew of a wife. And, oh, he starts to lust after the Mina Suvari character, but then at the end, oh, he decides to, he heroically decides to not have sex with the I'm teenager. I'm a good man, yeah. He's he practically has a halo over him for not being a pedophile Mm -hmm. and in this movie i mean it's a movie that deal it's much more extreme than anything that's in american beauty like it's like okay oh you think it's funny that i know american beauty came after but it's like you think it's funny that the kevin spacey character is lusting after a teen girl well here's a literal pedophile dad Mm -hmm. who's like literally a a long scene If you want to laugh, I dare you, is him trying to get a little boy to eat a sandwich so he will be drugged. Yeah, that scene is like pure Hitchcock and also like hilarious. Yes, because he's like, you don't want some peanut butter and jelly? And he's like, no. And he's like, anything? Like, I'll take a tuna sandwich. You're not going to eat that sandwich? It won't taste good. And that scene really gets to the heart of, you know, so much of what's good about salons where he's dealing in both extremes and ambiguities. He Mm -hmm. presents very sad are you laughing you sicko sometimes even very sick people and they're in a sick world and he doesn't he doesn't prescribe a way out Mm -hmm. you know the happiness ends well it ends with a joke involving a dog oh that's a very funny scene which which is so funny and is also it's also kind of like oh you thought you were gonna get like a moral out of this you get nothing you know you get a dog victory (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. you you get you get you get a victory (laughs) and also like happiness is a movie about a lot of people who are very, you know, uncomfortable in a world that's telling them to be comfortable and they're all uncomfortable to varying degrees. Maybe it's an older couple who feel apart and are divorcing and you're not sure whether <laughs> and they should. Sarah's like, I don't feel anything. Yeah. Maybe it's, you know, the joy character. Maybe it's the obscene phone caller. Maybe it's the fucking pedophile dad. Mm-hmm. And he puts them all together and he sort of trusts you to understand that they're not all exactly the same, but they're also like, like all, fucked up. In they're different all ways. fucked up in different ways. Yeah. And, and also he trusts you to be, to be like, you can handle this being treated in not the most solemn way. Mm-hmm. It, it'll be funny. Also, you can laugh at this but that's like a fine line right which is like you can laugh at this but then you know he gets accused a lot especially in his later films of being just like an edgelord right. like can you believe that i'm doing this well the laughter starts to sour with the dylan baker character that scene where he's drugging the boy 
is very funny and very suspenseful. But then as the movie goes along, it stops being funny. Yeah, until that climactic scene where his son confronts him about it. Yeah, or or then when the family goes out and they see the graffiti on the front of the house, mm-hmm. like that's, it's not funny anymore. Mm-hmm. And when they're having that quiet dinner, it's not funny anymore. And, you know, in this movie, it doesn't have the guardrails up. It's not, it's not telling you, it's not signaling to you when it stops being funny. It sort of trusts you to navigate that for yourself. So if we jumped way ahead to Dark Horse, 2011's Dark Horse, mm-hmm. what did you think of this movie when it came out at the time? Well, I'm glad you asked because <laughs> I was I was living the lifestyle of its central character. <laughs> yes, which is a man that's 35 years old and lives with his parents and works at his dad, played by Christopher Walken's company. He's he's an old 35. Mm-hmm. He's a character named Abe, played by an actor named Jordan Gelber. From who, what I understand is like a pretty seasoned like play guy a man of the theater and this ought to have been his breakout role but i think the problem is he's just too unlikable but what's interesting about him being a polished theater guy is he does bring that polish to the performance which i really like because it could have been a really weird kind of distancing performance Mm -hmm. but there's just enough charm to be like should i like this guy you're like no i don't because he's bad (laughs) exactly and also you're set up you've seen movies like the 40 year old virgin which were the rage around this time right and this movie came to theaters almost like presenting itself as a Judd Apatow movie. <laughs> Did you know? it? Yeah, like the trailers like had that kind of like bouncy she- bouncy yeah. vibe to it. it. It feels like one of those lovable Seth Rogen man-child movies that were popular. And yet the main character is just, yeah, like he's just too awful. Well, like the whole movie is about this guy who thinks he's the dark horse. He's the underdog. Like mm. he's going to have his time in the sun. His mom keeps telling him this and it needs to happen. There's a lot of ambiguity in this movie too, because he has objectively, I think, been dealt a bad hand. Yes. He's in a, a shitty world. He's in, you know, <laughs> he doesn't have a lot going for him. Did you feel yourself in that scene where he's on the computer and there's like a $450 toy and he like goes to click bid on eBay. You know, I felt, (laughs) you know, I felt myself in that scene where he's at his office, his shit job that he hates. Yeah. And he's wasting time on eBay. (laughs) Yeah. To buy something way too expensive. Yeah. Yeah. Almost to feel something. (laughs) (laughs) And you can understand that like his brother's really successful, but like, especially the way that he, there's a really funny line where his mom's like, why don't you go on medication again? He's like, you know, I don't do drugs. Like, he has an image of himself, and he can't get away from that, and because of that, his life is doomed. And so what do you do? You know, like, in this movie, a lot of it is he retreats into a fantasy world, Mm. which is not clearly delineated. I feel that, like, Todd Salons, he he uses that a little bit too much as a crutch, Mm. like, later on in his career. Are there any fantasy sequence other than Dylan Baker having that hallucination and happiness? Yeah, I'm trying to remember. I don't think so. Yeah, and I I know that, like, in storytelling, the movie he made after happiness has fantasy sequences like that. Life During Wartime has a lot of that as well. Mm. And so, like, near the end, when the layers of, like, fantasy and reality are kind of getting all mixed. I was like, okay, I I can understand what he's doing, but you ain't Bergman doing wild strawberries, my man. (laughs) Like, I felt it diluted a little bit. And also, the, like, comedic misery, like, reached an insane point by the end. Yeah, it absolutely did. I mean, what I, one thing I like about the movie is the way it captures a certain, like, hopeless at 35 Mm -hmm. is a different vibe. So Selma Blair is in this movie playing a character named Miranda who first appeared in storytelling. So... Oh, she's the same character? I I believe that is true. Well, we didn't talk about this. Todd Salons has a salonza verse where characters will show up from movie to movie 
not always played by the same actor, but their stories continuing or sometimes being rebooted in the case of life palindromes. And life during wartime as well. Well, in palindromes, the character from Welcome to the Dollhouse commits suicide at the beginning. And then Don Wiener comes back in Wiener Dog. In Wiener Dog, yes. Played by the much more audience-friendly Greta Gerwig. Much of the original actor's surprise because she read about it in the trades when, oh. it ha- when it was announced. That was funny. Like the Selma Blair character in this movie, again, there's some stuff that's fantasy. There's some stuff that's reality but the fact that you know in some in some timeline she gets with him is is sort of like at 35 you start to settle or it like hope starts to recede in certain directions especially when you still live at your parents house right and yeah like this movie basically ends in the only way it can there's a little bit of sad hope i guess at the end that like if you had done things a little bit differently maybe you would have been a little bit happier right and you might leave a movie like this thinking well what are we supposed to take away from this aside from like life is shit and the world is hopeless Mm -hmm. and i don't know sometimes it's nice to just see like a piece of art that reflects the world as Mm -hmm. it is in a way that's also funny you know and you like it's not it's not actually miserableism like it's funny throughout which i I think think it's very funny and i think the performance helps that it's probably his slickest film as well like the one that's going for like the biggest laughs Mm -hmm. even though that i feel like people who kind of stumbled upon the film expecting the 40 year old version would have bounced off of it because they're like this is not the film i thought Mm -hmm. it was going to be Mm -hmm. now what do you think of the one that you know you got to visit effed up movies to watch palindromes yeah that's right i i found this on a website called the f.movies i'm sure some of our listeners have stumbled on it because when i posted about f.movies people are like i love that website yeah yeah so palindromes is i so i first of all i believe he self-financed this movie really and i think you would have to yes because who would pay for this movie they probably went pedophilia again todd salon oh man there's so much pedophilia in this movie mm-hmm. it's a story of a teenage girl named aviva who decides she wants to become pregnant becomes impregnated by a uh, you know just a teenage friend of hers is pressured by her mother played by ellen barkin to get an abortion and then runs away from home eventually joins a sort of christian anti-abortion mission run by a character named mama sunshine where she has has collected mother hen style all of these all of these forsaken unwanted children you know one of whom is blind one of whom you know some of whom have various physical disabilities this and that Mm -hmm. basically one who has down syndrome basically the sorts of children who when people are looking to terminate a pregnancy are often looking for things like that and the movie goes from there oh and uh we we miss an important there's detail, also some Will. pedophilia you miss the detail well, the central thing is that the aviva character is played by how many people 12 people a lot yeah that including like, jennifer jason lee very briefly i was surprised to learn and that like each you know scene change up until the it, the end is designated by title cards right. just to let you give you a hint that like this is about to happen so Aviva also appears as in the form of Sharon Wilkins, who is a large black woman. There's a boy who plays her at one point. Mm-hmm. There's many young women, which it gets especially troublesome in the whole sequence where one of the versions of Aviva has sex with someone that picks her up at a truck stop and falls deeply in love with this grown man. Yeah, I don't know what to make of that subplot, to be honest. That, that sort of Well, that's when it gets to the extreme, almost like cartoony range where they're like, they go to kill her father yeah the movie began to lose me just a little bit in the jesus section i feel because well i mean okay so the jesus section with with mother sunshine and the kids when they do that christian rock song yeah 
there's something kind of Lynchian and uncanny about that. Yeah. But well, Totsalon finally gets to do, I assume, an original composition there. Yeah. Th- that song, Jesus, Nobody But You, has haunted me ever since I first saw this It's a movie. banger. It's yeah. haunted you, though. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll, like, hear it in my head just, <laughs> you know, at random moments. Jesus, nobody but you. <laughs> Would love me. <laughs> yeah. Well, what is Todd Salance's position on abortion based on this movie? <laughs> well, I mean, this is a movie that, you know, probably a lot of people wouldn't want to, like, entertain this movie at this moment because, like, at a moment where, you know, Roe versus Wade has just been overturned and there's, mm-hmm. you know, maybe a lot of people would not want to watch an ambiguous movie about abortion right now, which is fair enough. But I mean, if you want a movie that, like, deals in ambiguities, if you want a movie that, like, reflects that the world that, you know, like... If you're a, you know, a teenage girl being pressured by her mother into an abortion, like whatever you think of it, like it's not fun. No, it's not. You know, like nobody's having a good time in that moment. And you want a movie that sort of like lingers in that moment a little bit and like tries to show a common universal experience in all of its complexity and difficulty. I mean, has if all of his films are very funny, I would say this one, not very funny. Not very funny. And also not going for the big laughs, no. but there's a, but there's a bizarre, it has a kind of like almost fairy tale tone going through well, it. Well, a, a night of the hunter is what yeah. you feel like he's going or for. Or a dreamlike yeah. tone. Uh, did you notice this continues the Todd Solon's verse with Matthew Farber, Don Wiener's brother showing up and being accused of pedophilia? Yeah. Like everyone is a pedophile in these movies. Wrongly accused, I think. Th- this is the movie. Palindromes is the one where yeah. you're like, okay, do I have to like pull my kids away from Todd Salons at the grocery store next time I see him? <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, it's a, it's an incredibly like, I mean, what's disturbing about it is it's not a movie that deals in comforting you. It's a movie that depicts like just a lot of like really fucked up situations and had spaces and says this is what the world actually is when you live in it and palindromes is the one where you're like where does todd stand on these things yeah i mean it's there's certainly you know there's certainly no guarantee that he's pro-life or pro-choice or whatever and i i honestly don't really think i think you could go to this movie and say like, well, this is art. Like, art is a space to, like, work through ideas. I mean, the movie's not propaganda. No. I mean, if it is, it's bad propaganda. <laughs> hey, I would see it. I'm not joking. In every library I would go to, they would have a copy of Palindrome. Boy, I wonder who, like, stumbled on this one by accident. Because I actually think this is the least accessible one, even more so than Happiness. I don't think you would understand what was going on at first if you just stumbled on it. Like, I wait. didn't know that, like, 12 people would play yeah, the, the conceit role. of the movie. I thought that central conceit, all the different actors playing her, like, I thought it worked better than it might have. I think it would have worked better if they had grounded the story more. That mm-hmm. as it reaches the extreme fairy tale or, like, just wild level of the end, the disconnect of having different actors kind of takes you out of it Mm -hmm. but if it had been more something like a welcome to the dollhouse plot and that's why he said he made it is that so many people from all walks of life said you captured my experience and welcome to the dollhouse Mm -hmm. and he said well okay if it speaks to this many people can i make a similar story played by different actors and will it have the same effect and i know well i think many of the actors on their own individually yes, work are and they sell the moments and by the way as to your question of like where does todd salon stands on these issues or like what is the movie trying to say those early scenes where ellen barkin and the daughter are like you know the mother is trying to get the daughter to agree to an abortion i don't think either character is, is incorrect ba- is yeah, bad yeah. I, I agree in, with you. in that scene mm-hmm. even though she's like you know we were supposed to have another kid and we didn't have the money and we didn't and you but ellen barkin's performance you can feel you the do, sadness you get in it. that you yeah, get yeah. it yeah and like the fact that the fact that she's 
looking back on it as the right decision, but also sad. And maybe Todd Salons is saying that it wasn't the right decision. Mm -hmm. But like, I think there's room for ambiguity there. So we'll all be seated for the next TIFF premiere of Todd Salons' film that'll play. Oh, I want to ask you about Life During Wartime because you watched it this... I watched like just a couple minutes of it to kind of refresh myself. This was in 2009. Todd Salons comes back, you know, after Palindromes, it's like, okay, time to... Give us... Get get some asses in seats. Yeah, give the hogs what they want. Folks like a sequel well how about a sequel to ha- i'm kidding like yeah, yeah. it <laughs> is a happiness sequel. it is a sequel to happiness yeah all the characters come back played by different actors right so dylan baker as the pedophile father bill he's now played by siren hines that's mm-hmm. how you pronounce his name right uh, don't look at me about that being paroled from prison Paul Rubens plays the John Lovitz part. <laughs> Michael K. Williams plays the Philip Seymour Hoffman role. Love it. Yeah. I don't know if this movie works. Too many fantasy stuff throughout. Well, like I say, when I saw this one, this is when I started to turn on him a little bit because there's that early scene where the Allison Janney character, who, you know, is Trish Maplewood, mm-hmm. After she's just had a date with Michael Lerner, she comes back and her her son, the boy son, is asking her, well, how did your date go? And she's saying something like, oh, I mean, he, t- he made me wet. He touched me and he made me wet. Oh, what am I saying? And I remember hearing that and thinking, oh, Todd, you know, like, <laughs> oh, I get it. It's like, oh, she's talking about I can't se- believe it. She's talking about sex stuff in front of a child. It's like I can I can almost see. All right, Todd, you're banned from working with any children anymore. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like- and I feel like the movie is kind of full of things like that, where I almost feel like I feel like the for want of a better term, edgelord stuff yes. is is poking me in the ribs a little too much. I do like the continuation of the Dylan Baker stuff and his oh, yeah. storyline. I find that very moving. Sierra and Hines, all, the, all those scenes are played like dead serious. Mm-hmm. The, the scene with Charlotte Rampling yeah. is very powerful. The scene with his son at the end. Oh, so good. Powerful. And he's just like, I just wanted to make sure you weren't like me. And then yeah. he just leaves. Yeah, very good. But then it's surrounded by, like you said, stuff like, oh, he's a pedophile. Like somebody else is accused of being a pedophile. Right. And it's funny because in happiness, Everything in this quilt, like, somehow fits together. Mm-hmm. Even though, like, yeah, one's an obscene phone caller, one's a divorced couple, one's a pedophile. Somehow, tonally, he ties it all together. And I don't think that a similar spell is cast by Life During Wartime. I think it's because there's a more kind of, like, cartoonish feel to mm-hmm. it all, which is also brought, like, the cinematography is, like, glossy in a way that it wasn't yeah. in Happiness. Yeah. The colors are more saturated. And I think it's just Todd has been, like, pushing this as he's been making movies further and further. And, like, it, that's why it doesn't quite work in Life During Wartime. Mm-hmm. So I hope Todd Salons makes another movie at some point. You alluded to a movie that's been in development for a few years with Rachel Weiss and Colin Farrell called Love Child. When it was <sighs> when it was announced in 2021, Salons was quoted in Variety as saying, This is my first movie with a plot and my first movie taking place in Texas. It's fun and it's sexy and it's shaped by the Hollywood movies that made me want to become a filmmaker. I've loved Rachel and Colin's work forever and I'm so honored to be able to excite their passion for serious and unexpected work as well. And when I hear that, I think of like... You remember in The Simpsons when Moe tried to turn yeah. tried to turn the bar <laughs> family into a fam- bag. family restaurant? You yeah, had the, the smile. But did you read the synopsis for the film? Because it's going to sound like mother having sex with son. Well, I'm sure it is. Yeah. I'm sure it is. But like the fact that he's like, it's fun. It's it may, it's it's like the movies that made me love movies. Could he hasn't imagine, made a movie in a long time, could, Will. Could you imagine Todd Salons at the pitch meeting being like, okay, none of that pedophile stuff. <laughs> Are you sure, Todd? <laughs> he's like, you got me. <laughs> so as per usual, you can send us letters at a point 
1070clubpodcast at gmail.com. And our first letter is from Austin Alderman. And he goes, Justin and Will, with the recent Emmy nominee announcement and the unforgivable snubbing of the beloved Irma Vep HBO series, I was wondering what you think about the continuations of a film to the small screen. Obviously, your high watermark will be Kevin Smith's Clerks, the animated series. But what else do you think lives up to its big screen predecessor? Which ones fall flat? Also, if you wanted to do an Olivier Assayas episode and rock it to the top of the podcast charts, obviously I wouldn't complain. Well, I like Olivier Assayas. I like you? him too. Yep. Yeah. I have not seen the Irma Vap HBO show though. No. Here's the and thing. And I want to. Here's the thing. Just make a movie. That's been my <laughs> opinion on all of this stuff. We talked a while back that Park Chang-wook made a Jean Le Carré adaptation that stars Florence Pugh and Michael Shannon. Neither of us have watched it because we don't want to watch six hours or something or seven hours or something. So I do feel that way. I'll tell you, I remember a few years ago, I watched the first season of Fargo and like that show. It's good. Yeah. And, you know, for a, for a lot of it, it's like, wow, Billy Bob Thornton's good. Martin Freeman's good. I'm really liking this. And around episode six or seven, I was like. This really feels like it's kind of spinning its wheels a bit. Like Welcome to Prestige Television. Like, like, surely there's a shorter way to tell this story. And then I thought, oh, yeah, there was. It was called Fargo. It well, was, a, it was a movie. a little bit different, it was a isn't movie it? movie from 1996. Well, yeah, they grafted Fargo onto No Country for Old Men, and they made a show. The yeah. issue with, like, all these auteur directors doing TV shows is you can't do it in TV time. You can't. <laughs> okay. So just make a movie. God damn it. But obviously the best TV show based on a movie is... Clerks, the live action series with jim brewer yep that's right playing randall and who could forget my big fat greek life <laughs> godzilla the animated series that was a spin-off of the matthew broderick show never like saw that. never saw a whole episode but i hear it was better than the movie yes it was godzilla got the five monsters ferris bueller's day off the tv show have you ever seen that pilot? Uh, don't you mean parker lewis can't lose which was the ferris bueller's tv show ripoff oh that's funny but there was an actual like ferris bueller yeah i know there was and people need to look up the pilot to the ferris bueller's day off tv show because it opens with the guy whoever plays ferris bueller being like he's oh. he's, he's next to a like like full-sized cardboard cutout of matthew broderick and he's like you probably saw him in the movies he said he was me ferris bueller and then he takes out a chainsaw <laughs> and like destroys it and it's like well i'm the real ferris bueller and you see that and think well if i liked the movie i'd be instantly like i don't like you i'd be like oh i liked that guy who could forget bill and ted the live action tv series oh yeah or I completely forgot about that weird science the live action tv series yes, that yes. played in syndication for some reason in canada all the time both those shows were on ytv yeah oh that's why i saw it yeah. all the time weird science that was the theme song did you ever watch ash versus the evil dad i did and i liked it a lot well hmm, this is what i'll say I liked the first and second season. I really liked the third season when they got a new showrunner and they could break away from this frustrating idea of what the Evil Dead is. So they got to be much sillier and have monsters and stuff like that. That's what I like. But when you do a TV show like that and they st stood too close to that kind of stuff of like, oh, we can only recreate the gags and the deadites from the movies. Don't like that. That's not, I don't want that. Finally, the most obvious example and a show I've never seen a single second of is MASH. Oh, yes, that's but right. I'm just going to say it because somebody will write in. Yeah, don't write in, please. You I, have to I say know, this every time. I know what MASH is. You <laughs> yeah. don't need to tell me MASH is real. <laughs> oh, I had one on the tip of my tongue, and now MASH just obliterated it from my mind. <laughs> Ace Ventura, <laughs> the cartoon. Oh, well, and the mask? 
And cartoon. Dumb and Dumber also had a cartoon. Dumb and Dumber had a cartoon? Yeah, it did. So, I mean, I'm sure you remember the Ace Ventura, The Mask crossover episode. Yeah. Oh, what, yeah. What, what an event that was. He puts the mask on his butt. Ace Ventura does. I forget that. Yeah. That rocks. I'm going to look that up again. <laughs> I was at a used bookstore and I picked up the Ace Ventura like animated series that like came packaged with one of the versions of The Mask <laughs> or of Ace Ventura. And I was like, nah, I don't need this. <laughs> Even if it was a dollar, put it away. I like the Ace Ventura animated series is great because they actually had a bunch of the characters from the movie like that computer guy you remember him there was a computer guy that ace ventura who he was at the heavy metal place oh uh, i don't what, remember ace ventura what's the password new england clam chowder yeah. all i remember is remember do that? not go in there <laughs> rewind 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 oh i gotta fast forward by the shark part too scary and when then, it pops out of the water stop before the last third of the movie yeah the movie just ends. And then, yeah ace has sex in bed and that's the, the last movie scene. ends yep. yeah <laughs> wait do i not see him do the tasteless slow motion stuff which i loved as a kid oh yeah we got to see that. Yeah, yeah. You, you got to see that. And man, did we do an episode on Ace Ventura? I feel we did. We talked about it when we watched we Jim We talked Car- about Jim Carrey in like episode, what, seven? All right, like- we got to sit down and watch Ace Ventura together. I don't think I've done it in a decade. Let's do it. And oh, yeah, I was trying to think. Oh, you know Bill and Ted, the animated series? Yeah. They actually did their own voices. Even George Carlin did his own voice really? in the cartoon. So yeah. Keanu, Alex yep. Winter? Yep. Wow. They did their own voices and stuff like that. Not oh, bad. Back to the Future? There's so many animated series stuff. That's the one sad thing is you never get all those shitty license thing coming out. Even though Netflix just got a Kong Skull Island animated show that just popped up. So. Oh, neat. Oh, okay. One more. I'm loving this topic. Did you know there was an Abbott and Costello cartoon show in like the 60s? A no. really cheap one. So Costello was dead at that point, but, but Abbott was alive and Abbott was living in a one room apartment because he didn't pay his taxes for like 20 years and then 20 the, years. the IRS caught up with him. And so he was doing anything for money, obviously. And he was so old, he really couldn't do anything. So he did the voice of Abbott. And by that point, he's, I don't know, well, he's probably like 68, which is like old, like a hundred. That was like 108 by 1965 yeah, yeah, yeah. standards. And you'd hear him be like, ah, gosh, no. <laughs> yeah. The man's name is who? <laughs> hey, we're forgetting. A trio of comedians who oh. came to life on the small screen. Well, I mean, there was the old Three Stooges. Yes. But then there was the new, new Three, Three Stooges. Stooges. Where cartoons, live action segments with like them at the beach, barely moving. Oh, oh so, so good. good. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> Great topic. We should do an episode where we watch a series of something or the pilot of each like oh, movie based. that's such a great idea. We do Clerks. We do Ferris oh. Bueller. We do... <laughs> You know what? Get so, on the Discord of the Important Cinema Club Patreon. Good failed TV pilots based on movies. Oh, failed TV yeah, pilots. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Okay. There's so many, too. Yeah. So many. Uncle Buck. Oh, but that was a series. I think it turned into... There was a second Uncle Buck series that started recently, too. Really? Yes. Wow. Properties, IP, it's worth money. They're not giving it away. So our next letter is from James, and it's a little long and specific to read on this podcast, but thank you very much for sending it. There's some great movie suggestions in here based on other stuff that we talked about. He also suggests we did a call for editors a little while back. Episodes about editors specifically. Yeah, and we said it's a little difficult because, like, is an editor shaping the movie? Is there stamp on it? The director is the only important crew member, (laughs) is what we said, I think. Uh, Or it's difficult to ascertain, I believe, is what we came out with. I think we said the director is is the god. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. That's what we said and he suggests two editors dd allen and mary sophie 
Dubus. And Marie-Sophie Dubus worked with the likes of Orson Welles in late period, like F for Fake, Andrzej Zulowski, and Jean-Pierre Melville, and a couple of Emmanuel films. Which Emmanuel, is like, sorry. Boop, 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 boop. Oh, now we'll My antenna up. went up. And we also have Dee Dee Allen, who edited like tons of Hollywood New Wave films. And I'm going to be honest, I don't think I've ever heard her name before. No. But looking at her credits, I was like, wow, she seemingly shaped a lot of these movies, including all the good Arthur Penn movies. Interesting. Now, do we have interviews with her? Or? Yep, there are some online. I, re- I saw on YouTube, there's like a synopsium they did over Zoom, a bunch of editors after she passed away just a couple of years ago. And they, it's like three and a half hours. And they bring like tons of editors in to talk about her work. So I'm probably going to give that a background listen and see like, you know, w- the context I can get from that. So lots of movies. She even did some like really cheapo sci-fi films early in her career. So a lot to explore. And of course, we're going to have to watch the movie that she edited for the auteur of Space Jam. Joe Pitka. Yep. Let It Ride starring Richard Dreyfuss, the monster who gave us his son. (laughs) (laughs) And by the way, folks, on our Patreon this week, we are talking about the 1973 East Meets West spaghetti western kung fu film, the Fighting Fists of Shanghai Joe, also known as My Name is Shanghai Joe, starring Klaus Kinski. Is it one of the great spaghetti westerns filled with squibs, you know, violence and other stuff? Well, you're gonna have to listen to the episode to find out. Patreon.com slash The Important Cinema Club. A lot of digressions in that episode. Yep. Do we talk about Bob Dylan retiring? We do. Put it, put it on and pretend we're in the room. Yeah. And you're just listening. Well, you're overhearing us. As a podcast listener. When you stay on topic too much, kind of boring, kind of zone out. So, yeah. Or keep it short, like the Important Cinema Club. And on that note, until next week, my name's Justin Glue. I'm Will Sloan. Thanks for listening. Big announcement. Yes, big announcement. In Toronto, as we've mentioned... Which we assume that you've moved to by this point. Yes, Toronto, or as it is known, Toronto. We have a screening series at the Fox Theater in the Beaches neighborhood. It's called Important Cinema Club Masterpiece Classics. They've been very kind to let us periodically show movies that we like. Yeah, no guidance, no like, you gotta do this, you gotta do that. We're just like, can we show Hell's a Poppin'? They're like, okay. All three movies we've requested, they've said, sure. Yeah. And people have come out and they've had a great time. And the, and But those, more of you could come out. Well, those people could also be you. Yes. So Listener. It's going great and you can be part of the movement. And boy, we've got a screening coming up August 15th in the fair city of Tirana at the Fox Theater, 7 o'clock, August 15th. Get your tickets now. Foxtheater.ca. The movie is... Drumroll... Ed Wood's Glen or Glenda. And specifically, the Ag for Restoration that was recently done. That's right. So, one of the greatest films of all time. Ed Wood's unclassifiable documentary, experimental film, exploitation film, autobiographical what's-it about gender diversity. Now, will I be able to riff during the screening? No, (laughs) no. Do not riff. This movie is a classic sort of ancestor to LGBTQ cinema. We want everyone to feel welcome at this screening. But it is a funny film, though. Well, you can laugh. Yeah. When Bella Lugosi says, Beware of the big green dragons that sits on your doorstep. He eats little boys. Yeah. You can laugh. Yeah. Now, we don't want to be the laugh police either, because that's not fair. No. (laughs) But... But this is a be- but listen, listener. You know what we're talking about. You know about. what we're talking about. Don't be, don't be Tom Servo. Don't be Crow T Robot. This ain't, this isn't a fucking Neil Breen movie. No. This is a work of art. This yeah. film. I feel like these movies, especially the Ed Wood ones, do not usually get shown in that context. Oh man. I mean, yeah. We want you to 
see this movie for the extraordinary one-of-a-kind piece of art it is. If, you, if, if you've never seen Glenn or Glenda, if you think it's just, oh, it's a bad movie, it's the Golden Turkeys. <laughs> the shots don't match. That's why we watch this, right? I'm telling you, you have never seen a movie like this. No movie has ever behaved the way this does. The melding of dream and reality, just the mushing together of all sorts of different genres, like five layers of narrators. You know, it is proto-accidental Dave, David Lynch, mm-hmm. you know? And beep, 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 beep. What's this? An update. People have been asking, what's going on with Revenge of the Dead, aka Night of the Ghouls? I'll say we're working on it. There will be a Blu-ray yes. of two uh, discs. Yeah. It's There's too be, much stuff. Folks, it's going to be good. For the first time presented in widescreen. Oh, man. Which is the way it is clearly meant to be presented. Yeah. But it's going to be in widescreen and it's going to be in full screen. In full screen. You can watch both versions. Will, over the last few months, has been reaching out, trying to get like stuff that we can put on the disc there are gonna be some very good special features on it. it's gonna be the ultimate night of the ghouls slash revenge of the dead experience now is it a 4k restoration it is not it is from a theatrical print it's a but it's a beautiful 2k scan mm-hmm. with a lot of grain a lot of beauty yes a lot of atmosphere way better than the version you've been seeing so you can look at it and say hey look there's an ed wood poster in the background of the shot <laughs> so good so you're gonna have so much fun with that and by the way i just want to just back to our glenn or glenda screening it's not just going to be the movie we're going to have a short film. Mm-hmm. Not sure what it is yet, but nope. it's going to be a short. You oh, know. and you get a little program for free. A little free program that you'll never get anywhere else with exclusive writing. So, and you're you're going to have you're going to have fun. Justin will be there selling Gold Ninja Blu-rays mm-hmm. if you want us to, you know, autograph you so <laughs> so you can get it tattooed on your body uh-huh. you know this is this is your chance. like we'll be forced to talk to you so yes. we got nowhere advantage. to go take advantage this is our night but it's also <laughs> your night yeah so come on down august 15th glenn or glenda foxtheater.ca to pick up your tickets